You're listening to episode 59 with Julie Nargong, Executive Director of the Water Environment Association of Texas and the Texas Association of Clean Water Agencies. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Water, the public communications company founded by yours truly, the H2 Duo. Hi, I'm George Hawkins, past CEO of DC Water, founder of Moonshot, the professor of practice at American University. This is a podcast that helps you communicate the value of water. What's more important than that? It's Water in Real Life with my friends, the H2 Duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. So what does it mean to go rogue? It means you know we've got some serious challenges facing the water industry, but you're ready and willing to do things differently than the way we've always done them. Why? To build the bridges necessary between our industry and the people we serve to move things forward. At Rogue Water, we work with you to provide the strategy, content, and resources you need to effectively communicate with your customers so that you can work together to provide sustainable clean water services and to create healthy communities. Are you ready to go rogue? Find out more at roguewatergroup.com. So there's this intrinsic stigma attached to this, and it took the sector years to acknowledge that we both have to destigmatize the career of cleaning water talk about our collection systems and storm drains and generally better inform the public if we want to benefit from legislation, policy, and or funding to improve our infrastructure. So many great things to take away from our chat with Julie. We touch on so many important issues facing the industry. So of course, we lead off talking about workforce and the many initiatives that both WEAT and WEFT are doing to tackle this issue. But Julie also raised a thoughtful point on how important language is to how we brand ourselves and market ourselves to the next generation of water professionals, that that's just as important as creating that talent pipeline. If you aren't familiar with the Pure Water Brew Alliance, we touch on that, and Julie gives us some great insight on how this is such an important and unique way to open the conversation about reuse water with not only our customers, but with the local entrepreneurs in our communities. And we're probably a little biased as, you know, WEAP members and committee members, but we think they've done a fantastic job at rebranding the member association. And Julie gives us some behind the scenes intel on her team's process and why it was so important to them to do so. And then we end with a discussion on building diversity in the water workforce and some of the great steps already being taken and how we have to build our allies across demographics to truly build the movement towards change in the right direction. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Julie Nargong is the Executive Director of the Water Environment Association of Texas, shout out, and Texas Association of Clean Water Agencies. Julie has worked and volunteered with WEAT since 2009. She received a Bachelor's of Science in Economics and a Bachelor's of Arts in Sociology from Trinity University in San Antonio and received a lifetime honorary studentship to the Student Union at the London School of Economics. She has worked with nonprofits since 2003 as an organizer, manager, program developer, legislator, <coughs> on and currently as an executive director. As such, Julie oversees all of the legislative and regulatory changes pertinent to the clean water sector. She monitors bills, testified for and against wastewater-related legislation, and represents Wheat and Takwa in a number of TCQ 
and Texas Water Development Board stakeholder areas. She's also active with a number of community nonprofits and water aid organizations, including the Gazelle Foundation, and is overall a badass that we have been fans of for and a long time. When do you sleep ever? <laughs> Whoa. Oh my God. So, Julie, so excited to have you on the show. So excited. Hey, y'all. I'm excited <laughs> to uh, kind of mutually fangirl here because uh, yes. huge fans of what you guys do. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we know that your your schedule is crazy, so we appreciate that. But first things first, we ask this of all our guests that come on. Um, we read a little bit of your bio, but we want to know a little bit more about your water story. Um, our friend Bree with WEF said it amazingly one time on a tweet, and we loved it. And so wow. we've continued to ask people this. But did you choose water, or did water choose you? Yeah, I um, definitely didn't choose water. Um, it was a super circuitous route to the water sector. And uh, I made it here because it's full of passionate, altruistic, incredibly cool people. Yes. And uh, my background led me into nonprofit work. And so through kind of uh, working in the nonprofit sector in Austin and uh, doing stuff with um, uh, groups that worked on um, looking at how NAFTA impacted uh, unions, labor, and the environment, kind of found my way to WEAT and um, realized that it was a great organization filled with people with passion, integrity, and the kind of people that I wanted to work with and work for. So, you know, I, I came from a position of wanting to do impactful, meaningful, good work and found myself in wheat and stayed here because I am able to do all of those things with awesome people. Oh, love it. Yeah. Well, we call our friend uh, Dustin Compton Water Google anytime we have a question related <laughs> to water, but we definitely include you on that list now too. Yeah. So we know that if we have any like especially with related to legislation that's going on or anything like that we always know call that julie. call julie yeah shoot our text <clears throat> send her an email cool but um okay so let's talk about an area that i know is something that we're both passionate about and that is workforce and what's going on in the water industry in relation to that so uh we're firm believers that water has the opportunity to kind of be the bridge that brings us meaning this nation together. You know, we've got some serious problems to fix, but from the GEDs to the PhDs, we need help at all levels and we have opportunities for folks at all levels. And we've all heard some of these quasi terrifying, staggering statistics surrounding the water workforce and what's going on. Um, I know, like I said, this is an area that you're passionate about. So talk to us about what worries you most about some of these issues? Sure, yeah. I mean, I'm definitely passionate about workforce development issues because training, retaining, and attracting a skilled workforce is one of the most pressing issues facing our sector um, and obviously foundational to the mandate and mission of protecting human health and the environment. So without a skilled trained workforce, we can't carry out that mission, which is um, life-sustaining, um, frankly. So yeah, you mentioned some of these staggering numbers and they are. Um, there was an awesome Brookings Institute um, publication that came out in 2018, I believe, published by Joseph Kane on mm -hmm. kind of the uh, workforce development and uh, water sector 
um, issues. And he threw out some numbers and uh, just to kind of parrot those back, um, nationally, the median age of workforce across all sectors is about 42 years old. And um, Joseph Kane noted that the median age of plant operators is 46 years old. So super statistically significant (laughs) age difference there, right? And so plant operators will retire in greater numbers and in one large swoop um, before a lot of other workers across sectors. So this points to, among other things, obviously that mass exodus of a generation of operators that takes their institutional knowledge with them. Um, And so then we pair that with... uh, uh, U.S. Government Accountability Office, so um, U.S. GAO Office report estimates that 30, 37% of all water utility workers and 31% of wastewater utility workers in the U.S. will retire in the next decade. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we have those numbers leaving the industry, and it's imperative that we do a better job to attract new talent if we want to continue to protect human health in the environment. You know, how we do that, there are a number of different ways. Um, but you know, one way is to really tout the benefits of a career in the water sector and in wastewater. And so a few of those things, you know, just kind of quick pointed things that you can throw out to folks that are job seekers is nationally, there's a lower educational barrier to entry, mm, right? Yeah. So you can jump in there, do impactful work right away and a comparatively higher wage rate in the 10th and 25th percentile. So what that means is that the vast majority of careers in wastewater pay a more livable wage compared to other sectors. We have the need, we have a wage rate, and uh, then we also have a career that's somewhat buffered to external shocks, right? So what I mean by that is that we'll always need folks to clean the water. And that doesn't change um, if we have tariffs on stuff in in China, (laughs) you know, like the political economy, you know, somewhat is uh, a little, you know, not a major impactful event on when and how and how much water we need. We just need it and we will always need it. There's so legit job security there. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, the benefits are there. Um, the livable wage is there. Um, the ability to progress in that career is there. Um, and, you know, those are some of the tangibles, mm-hmm. right? But then you have kind of the intangibles, which are also um, what attract people to the career. You can be part of something bigger than yourself. Right. You know, you can be part of the enterprise. I think George Hawkins was the one that kind of called, you know, the water sector is the enterprise, right? Because everything in our economy, everything in our, in our society rests on availability to clean and safe water. Yeah. Right. So we are the enterprise and, you know, knowing that you're part of that means that you get this super prideful piece of, you know, your work every day that you get to take home with you. It's not doldrums, although I'm sure folks still have those days, <laughs> right. you know, but it's, it's not all about the monotony of, a job. It is a career that you can be passionate about and that you can take home knowing that, man, you are doing the most important work, right? You're protecting human health and the environment. So 
I feel like every day is, uh, has the opportunity to be different too. I mean, sometimes yeah. but like never a dull day, but. <laughs> All right. And since we're talking about careers in the water sector, I actually want to jump back a bit and talk a little bit about the language we use when we talk about the water sector. Um, you know, we're moving away from wastewater treatment plants. Um, that is, we're moving away from describing or calling uh, those plants wastewater treatment plants because what they are are resource recovery plants, right? They recover water, they recover nutrients, they recover struvite, all kinds of things from this influent stream. And so, you know, they're more aptly described as resource recovery plants. And then the folks that work in the plant are not wastewater operators, they're clean water workers. I, love that. I mean, if you start from the premise of understanding that a power plant isn't called a coal plant because it's not called Ooh. what you plant, it's called a power plant because it's called what it produces. Yeah. And so you know, okay. these plants produce clean water yeah. and they also recover resources. And so yeah. we need to be intentional with the language that we use because language that we use also flows back into how we market these careers, yes. right? I mean, they're super cool, innovative, really rad careers. Right. And so they're about resource recovery and cleaning water. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. First of all, mind blown. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, yes. And as a way to market it, you know, you don't realize it's shitty until you get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's, yeah, I agree. That was an amazing point I to make it. is that yeah, we don't call you. it the, the coal plant, you know, we call it the power plant. And um, I think that that's great that the industry is recognizing that and yes. moving towards that. And of course, because I always have to bring it back to communication. I just, uh, that's an incredible story to tell. There's so many amazing things happening on this side of the industry that are great stories of innovation and and ways to bring that next generation of the workforce in but we have to remember that we have to communicate that to our customers to that next gen we can't just assume that they know that we're making this this shift in in verbiage <laughs> and we have to remember to explain all of those things as you so eloquently did to them so that they can come along with us on this and be as excited about it as we are. So I think that's a great opportunity for a new, um, a new avenue of, uh, of content for the storytellers in water out there. So I'm for sure. Yeah. That. Thanks for the opportunity to throw it out there. Heck yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about the operator springboard program. That that's something that you and WEF are working on together. Yeah, exactly. Um, first of all, shout out to my workforce development committee leaders, um, hey. Katie Zang with AECOM, Dylan Christensen with Black and Beach. Whoop, whoop. Dilly dilly. Dilly. <laughs> dilly dilly. And Justin Rackley with CDM Smith. Um, nice. They're all just super talented, um, impressive folks working on this program. And yeah, like I said, the or like you said, the Springboard program was, was developed in a YP group at the WEF level, mm -hmm. um, but by some Texans. Right. Okay. So Katie's, you know, kind of had this three pronged approach um, with high school curriculum program, paid operator internship program and veterans apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, she kind of took this brainchild that was hatched at the WEF level. We came back to Texas and said, OK, what part is implementable and what do you need from wheat to help get this going? And um, so it's been about. Yes, a year and a quarter now, um, and 
we are close to having a pilot program at for high school in Houston um, next spring. Yeah. To provide curriculum, have approved trainers come in and essentially prepare high school students so that upon, upon graduation, they can take their uh, class D um, water and clean water <laughs> operator um, yeah. test. Yeah. And graduate with um, that license that'll, you know, makes them imminently employable. Mm-hmm. And then we have the connection with city of Houston too, who is involved in this program. So then pipelines directly into city of Houston who desperately needs operators as well. Oh, so, you know, that is kind of the first approach and through the big three, those efforts, um, and those individuals, uh, uh, behind those efforts, uh, we think we're going to have something in place. And, you know, also just to, just to mention and, and just kind of applaud Katie, Dylan, and Justin, they uh, brought in, I think it was like 12 um, high school students from four high school. Yeah. Uh, Texas, Texas water. water. Yeah. yeah. To tour Texas water and actually kind of get a feel for what, you know, a career in clean water and the water sector looked like. And so they toured the exhibit hall. They um, heard from a lineup of folks that we had there to kind of present on careers in water. And I mean, they were incredibly interested and like, I didn't see an eye roll among any of them, you know, and to actually captivate high schoolers, like at that age, you know, roaming around an exhibit hall with your sector is, is a pretty cool thing. And so, you know, the connections are already being made, but it's programs like these that help really bring back workforce development, um, to a tangible thing that that wheat and uh, nonprofits like ours can play a role in. Well, we when Dylan Dylan was actually the first one to kind of tell us about this program, and when he did, we were incredibly excited about it, and obviously want to help kind of spread the word, um, not only about what comes bears fruit from it, but also you know to be an example that uh, other member associations across the country can you know fall can follow if and, and see how it works out in their individual uh, communities and organizations. So we've been excited to hear more about it and to spread the word. And we were excited to see uh, the, the cohort of students that yes. came through at Texas Water. That's pretty exciting. That was cool. Yeah. Okay, Julie, what role is Wheat playing in addressing this uh, workforce issue in Texas and beyond? Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, definitely what we just talked about, the Operator Springboard Program, um, you know, creating a opportunity for um, the connection between kids and young adults seeking careers, and then those um, folks looking for people to work at the plant and to do these incredibly important jobs. So there's a Springboard Program. Um, there's also, across the state, different programs that different wheat leaders have really spearheaded or pushed for. There is the Water Academy at Tarrant Community College. And yeah, yeah. And shout out to Kathy Seeger and John Bennett with TRA because they were both instrumental in pushing this through and actually helped develop the curriculum for it. But um, yeah, essentially, you know, it it creates um, something comparable to the Fire Academy at Tarrant Community College. And so it creates, you know, a lot of different classes and educational opportunities 
for students to be involved in that gives them internship opportunities, paid internship opportunities as well, and then a direct path to a career at those river authorities and local utilities. So I know TRA likes to hire out from that water academy because they know they're well-trained, um, they've usually had interns at TRA. And so TRA, just by virtue of some awesome employees, they are created their own pipeline. Um, yes. yeah. And, uh, you know, Kathy is, um, committee, uh, chair mm-hmm. and, uh, John Bennett is a past president of WEF and John Bennett currently serves as the ops challenge coordinator at the WEF level. So yeah. we, we've got some pretty cool people that have done some awesome stuff. And then we have a Tyler Community College program that will just, uh, it's just being fired up this summer. Mm-hmm. And so essentially we're, we're teaming up with Tyler Community College to offer some continuing education courses in, um, yeah, clean water services and the clean water sector. And so we will use their facilities, use kind of their um, network to bring in folks that need continuing education and really loop them into the opportunities in the clean water sector while Tyler Community College is working on getting um, a similar water institute implemented. Mm -hmm. So we're going to help them lay the foundation, bring some classes um, to the community college and uh, yeah, help with this, you know, multi-pronged approach in uh, workforce development in Texas. I love it. Thank you. Uh, So getting my East Texas folk, you know, (laughs) the industry, thank you. Shout out you guys and gals. And I kind of, now that I'm, you know, I'm working in Tarrant County, uh, that's where office is. So I kind of want to go back to college again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we've implemented that as part of the rogue water benefits yet, but you know, maybe in the future. So we got Definitely. excited because, you know, we're, we're up in Tarrant County near TCC. So I took it's all a- my, uh, a lot of my, my, well, I took my C license there and I was like, you know, this is pretty cool. It's beyond just going there and getting your license or taking the test for that license. It's, it's diving deep into the classes. I love it. Yeah. 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 Well, it's awesome to hear what's going on. Uh, yeah, that's in our own backyard. Didn't even know. I'm so excited to hear that. That's amazing. I should have known though. TRA is uh Terry's got, yeah, they got their, they got their game faces on. Um, they got some talent for sure. They do. Can I say they have their shit together? Yes. Yes, you can. (laughs) Uh, it's our podcast. You can can say what you want to. (laughs) It's our podcast. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, let's tackle another issue that we of course are obviously passionate about, which is communication. Um, and according to a survey that was done by our friends at Blue Drop and DHM Research, they found that only 3% of people believe that wastewater services are the most important service provided by a utility, which makes me wonder what they would rather do instead. But uh, so for as little as the general public understands about water, it's obvious that they understand significantly less about what happens after they've used that water. Um, We've aired our grievances about this issue at many a conference lunch table. You've probably been in some of those conversations with us at well, but what are some of the greatest challenges you hear utilities facing around this issue in terms of what it is that we actually do on the clean water side? Oh, man, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's a huge question. I'm excited to, to jump in there. Um, I'm going to take a step back though, yeah. and build the foundation. 
and hopefully answer it. <laughs> um, but for years, the sector's MO, so the clean sector's MO, um, was that you're doing your job right if people don't question or discuss it. So, yeah, you know, cleaning water means acknowledging that humans make it dirty. Uh, jumping back, like we said, the enterprise here in the U.S. Yeah. So the resistance of a narrative that they did a damn good job of implementing years ago is still with us. Mm -hmm. um, so the job we did about not talking about the industry was effective. And it'll take concerted effort and time to turn the clean water sector from being taken for granted to being vaulted as an essential service. And yeah, I also, um, something I continue, continue to wrestle with and think about, um, and it's kind of a small example of uh, this overall conversation is, you know, the, the ubiquitous poop emoji, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, working in clean water, is that something we embrace and laugh about? And uh, can we use it as a tool to destigmatize? Do we like reappropriate it and reclaim this image um, and acknowledge that the clean water industry means cleaning water after we flush it. There's a psychological power to culture that happens when you reclaim language that's previously been stigmatized. So mm -hmm. embracing and talking about what we do and using ubiquitous cultural signs may be a way to start that conversation and do that. So TRA has their shit together. There's a perfect example, right? Yes. You know, but on the flip of this, the sector is full of innovative, brilliant, service-minded professionals who are passionate about protecting the environment right. and being on the fore of solving some of the biggest local and global problems. So, but when we attempt to reclaim language or signs, we can't fall into like this complete self-deprecation or then the power of the act is lost, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to reclaim it and, you know, destigmatize it, laugh about it, but make sure it's not self-deprecating and we're not apologizing yeah. for what we do. So, wow. Can y'all hear that thunder? Holy cow. Was that thunder? That was thunder? It was. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm leaving uh, that in because that's a part of the rain. Yeah. That's the part of the I water mean, cycle. It's part of the water cycle. And I think it just like was an exclamation point. To <laughs> I think, did God just wash the I think God just said agreed. <laughs> he said, I agree. So, um, he said, I, I agree. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I like it. Um, but it's a, but it's a tricky question. And, uh, well, yeah, I, yeah. even though God is speaking, I'm being <laughs> close to veering too far into like postmodern polemic stuff. Um, <laughs> but I think we can start from the premise that the sector is undervalued because it's not talked about or when it yes. is discussed, there's a stigma and we can be begin to unwrap how we use communication public communication and outreach, images and language to help change this. I feel like you, did we just solve um, the world's problems with two emojis? <laughs> I think we did, yeah, actually. Yeah, like um, with the toilet paper emoji and yeah. the poop emoji. I agree with you, though. I think I think there's a there's a balance yes. between acknowledging it for the innovation and all the important work we do and how vital it is to public health and all of that, but also just, mm -hmm. also just address kind of calling it for what it is and embracing. Yes, we do. We deal with, we deal with a lot of shit every day. That's a piece of it, you know, and like having fun with that. And I feel like that's one of the things that's really, I feel like we're kind of already starting to do that because I feel like that's something that 
Ariane, that's what's really drawn Ariane and I into the clean water side of the water sector because there is this element of irreverence a little bit about, yeah, yeah. and that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Tom Ferguson with Imagine H2O is that he really sees the power in that and really embraces that, which I guess is why we're friends Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we definitely um, have an element of that. But yeah, I think that there is a balance, but you're exactly right. If, if we're not talking about it because we're afraid of, ooh, well, someone may not want to talk. You know what? It's, it is what it is. It's life. Right. And I think that if, I think it would be irresponsible, it would only be irresponsible for us to not be talking about it if, um, if we were facing situations where people were, people were dying from lack of access to sanitation. You know, I think if that were the case, it would be a little bit differently. But since in our situation, meaning the U.S., that's not something that we're, that we're struggling with at this point, that we're actually at a place where clean water is just evolving into this amazing new place of innovation and how we're able to create resources out of all of the out of the different waste streams that we're receiving and things. And so I think it's really evolving into the story. Like, how are we not telling the story? You know, I mean, it's, it's one of the coolest, most innovative, raddest things out there. Like, you know, cleaning the clean water side can do all the innovative stuff. Yeah. I mean, there does have to be an element of remembering our roots or where we came from. I mean, we were just, given the honor of being the keynote at NACWA's Strategic Communication Conference up in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, this is marks the 50th anniversary of the Cuyahoga River catching on fire, which then spurred environmental regulation as we know it changed the face of how this nation looks at water, clean water, storm water, and all of those things. And A, they have embraced it to where one of their buttons for the conference says steal that and has the poop emoji because that's kind of the the whole premise for the for the gathering is come hear about all these amazing things that folks are doing and embrace them, air quotes, embrace them as your own and, and use them in your own communities. But you know, standing on that stage, I still had to recognize that, you know, dirty water has killed more people across this globe than all acts of violence, including war. And so like what we do is serious business. We save lives and change lives every single day, but it's still something that people are uncomfortable talking about. And so we have to embrace that side as well. So as just going back, just going back to my point of, is that this is such an interesting story to tell. Like we have to start telling it and we have to do it we have to do it with some fun. And I think from what we've seen so far, like this, it's happening. Mm-hmm. We're excited about it. And let me uh, pause because you mentioned like a super auspicious anniversary, right? <laughs> the 50th anniversary of the Cuyahoga River yes. catching on fire, which essentially yes. kind of spurred the Clean Water Act, which is, you know, modern day, that whole thing. Uh, we clean the water and the regulation behind it. I mean, I think, you know, kind of on equal footing with that uh, is the first anniversary of y'all's podcast, which I realized. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know, I just, I just want, you know, everyone in kind of y'all's listening sphere space to, to kind of acknowledge, you know, what's, wow. what's going on here. 
Cheers. Wow, that is a hell yeah. of a, uh, a shout out. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that yes. connection too. I mean, now I feel very connected to that river. Ooh, yeah, now I got to go back to Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, maybe y'all didn't open, you know, as keynoting with that, right? But <laughs> How did we miss that? As per usual, we were sitting, you know, somewhere like at probably like getting ready to go to bed at 11 o'clock and I we're like, oh, tomorrow's June 4th. It's been a year, you know, yeah. so it's like we miss these amazing self milestones by just being so involved in everything else that we're doing. So, but well, we appreciate you for, for calling that yeah, out because it's you. definitely um, this experience and getting to talk to folks like you and um, other leaders and water badassery nerds across the nation. It's just, it's like, it's been a life changer for us. So um, thanks for that. Thanks well, for that shout out. Speaking of celebrating and badass leaders, um, on the flip side of all the serious things you guys are talking about, okay. I have a super serious thing I want to talk about. Okay. Um, and that's beer. <laughs> so we have some mutual friends at the Pure Water Brew Alliance that have found a successful um, way to communicate water and water reuse. Um, you know, we're all, us three on the podcast today are members of the Alliance. Um, so Julie, why are you so excited? <laughs> oh, is that thunder Ooh, again? God approves of beer. Okay. <laughs> God likes beer. <laughs> Emphatically. Yes. So uh, why are you so excited about this project and how can we get more people involved in bringing the Alliance to Texas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great questions. So the me part of the question first. <laughs> um, I mean, bravo for nailing what makes Pure Water Brew Alliance attractive. Like you said, it's, it's the common and uniting denominator of beer. So, you know, we've got that. And craft beer has blown up in Texas blown like many up in the U.S. And uh, what they're doing is using a loved and celebrated commodity to talk about cleaning water and the technology available to do so. Mm. So it really drives home the value of water and the concept of one water. So let me break it down a little bit more um, because Pure Water Brew Alliance demonstrates to a new audience that we have the technology and regulatory framework in place to clean what was previously wastewater. Mm -hmm to a hyper degree, to the hyper degree necessary to make good beer. So that really drives home the reality that direct potable reuse is a viable water supply. And all water, clean, dirty, briny, or whatever, it's just really one water. And it's all a precious resource that's life-sustaining and a key ingredient, obviously, in quality beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've also got to add that brewers have got to be master chemists too. Yes. And they incorporate like a wide skill set similar to clean water professionals. Did we just um, add them to our workforce development issue? Ooh. Totally. Yep. <laughs> and um so I mean the the brewery effluent that they deal with every day has a major impact on resource recovery plants. So a lot of craft brewers they've got to pay like very close attention and work closely with municipal resource recovery plants that they discharge to in order to meet permit limits of BOD. And I'm going to get kind of technical BOD, um, which is biochemical oxygen demand, or basically the nutrients in the water, the measurements of the nutrients in the water mm -hmm. and TSS or total suspended solids, which is exactly what the name says it is. So that's like the particular count in water. 
So for me, Pure Water Brew Alliance is really the perfect threefold demonstration tool for those 21 and above to communicate uh, the incredible technology available that allows for direct potable reuse as a safe water supply source, the one water ethic in that all water is really just one water, and a little bit about resource recovery plans and the delicate treatment process that accounts for all of the influent or water from different sources flowing into the plant that eventually gets clean. So yeah, I mean, beer is the perfect vehicle for communicating water, just hands down. Uh, hands down. Well, I'm glad you got a little technical because I know for as many of us out there, um, present company included, who are excited about this notion of pure water brew that not everyone knows about it. So I'm glad that you took a moment to kind of explain that. So if you didn't know about it, that you do get involved with it, and um, I know the person who kind of introduced us to all of this was uh, Travis Loop, who's a director of communications with uh, WEF, the Water Environment Federation. So if you are interested in also getting more information or learning about getting involved as part of the alliance or bringing it to your state, uh, he's got that alliance really is a great group to kind of brainstorm and get ideas with and see how you can bring things to your community which I mean, in our, from our office area, we're kind of at this, tri well, it's not really a triangle, but within maybe a block in three different directions, there's three different craft breweries. So we yeah. got to get this going in Fort Worth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, as far as bringing it to Texas, I think there needs to be like this parallel approach with conversations with our regulatory colleagues and officials, and then discussions with utilities and municipalities that would be potential contributors, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, but you outlined it. I mean, there's the interest, the appetite, the technology are all in place to bring pure water brew to Texas. Um, and of course, you know, I hope I can work with y'all to make it happen. So yeah, super absolutely. I mean, you're welcome to come up here and tour some of these potential brewery uh, locations. Yeah, yeah, a little QATC. I mean, I think we need to. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, this is a creative way to talk about uh, water and beer and reuse water together. You know, we need more programs like that. We need to stop putting ourselves in this box of, you know, we have to sound and look like a government entity, kind of going back to that idea of a reverence that we were talking about before. Because, you know, like, who says, you know? Um, yeah. And so one of the things about that is that uh, kind of we talked a lot about the branding of water, of clean water. This got talked about a lot at NACWA as well. Um, and I love the rebrand that Wheat has done. The website looks great. Awesome. It's easy to use and to navigate. You know, we're we're both uh, committee members on the public communication and outreach committee for wheat. And it's been easy for us to share and find data because it's all kind of Google drive set up on the back end, which we both understand. Um, so you've really demonstrated that a member association doesn't have to look like the member associations of the past, you know, or that we don't have to look like we're still in 19, Pick up. Gosh, yeah. You could even say 2004. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about the process of how you got that done and any tips that you could give to other MAs out there who are looking for a little refresh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, first of all, anyone listening, MAs or otherwise, just call me if you have any questions. Um, but, uh, you know, that is a huge compliment. So thank you for noticing and thinking it was cool, liking the experience. Um, that's exactly what we are going for. The clean water sector is full of innovation. I mean, we keep 
harping on that. And it really is. So I mean, we do some rad stuff and we wanted our website and digital presence to personify this. It needed to be informative, forward thinking, and ahead of trend instead of stuffy, resistant to change around us and antiquated. I think we accomplished this with our site and our logo. Again, since Wheat as an organization embraces change, new ideas, and knows and anticipates kind of trend lines, we wanted a mark and a website that would help us attract new members in that same vein, right? Excited about growth. We're only as vibrant and as interesting as our members, which is why we want our members' digital experience to be awesome and ahead of time um, or ahead of the times. As far as the process, um, like how, how we went about doing it, we, we knew what we wanted, right? We were looking for a website that was beautiful, performative, intuitive, and sustainable. And we knew we wanted it to, to rest on cloud hosting stack and employ latest technology to manage data like API calls. So, you know, from that starting point, we then went old school, right? Put together an RFP and uh, talked to a couple of different firms. And I found a boutique firm in Dallas who did cool work and um, were nimble, young, fast, could customize exactly to the specs that I wanted. And so we went with them and they did um, research at, for our new mark and overall design and kind of took impressions from our members. Um, and so, it, you know, that's how we came up with kind of the water drops that create the W or wave or are reminiscent of, you know, drops of water. And it's all suggestive, but not necessarily literal. Um, right. And so, you know, I mean, we accomplished our goal. We uh, went with the right firm. We're happy with the end result. And I think my one bit of advice for someone um, going in the, into this is to be imaginative. Um, imaginative, rather. You don't have to have Texas in your logo, <laughs> which is something we took out. <laughs> right, I know. Um, but you don't have to have it in there because you always have, or those in the same space still do. So... Mm-hmm. In fact, we looked at our mark and we, were, we thought, well, maybe we want to consider differentiating ourselves from the crowd, right? Because we are different. Yep. We are innovative. We do do red stuff. We are in front of the curve. And so we wanted our mark to represent that. Um, and we think it really paid off. We think the digital experience is uh, much kinder <laughs> to our user and much more inviting. And our branding now matches the innovation of the sector. And plus, like, I am looking at y'all's hats and oh. man, our mark looks awesome yeah. on a trucker hat. So. Yeah. yeah looks so Flat good. Bill to the side. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. W E A T.org for any of all that want to check it out. And you can tell that it was designed from the user experience perspective. Um, sometimes, uh, what happens a lot of times in organizations is we just want to make sure that every single piece of information we've ever <laughs> created over the past 150 years is available online. And you don't necessarily have to do that. Um, you know, uh, our friend Jim Baird, who is currently the president of uh, PNCWA, uh, Pacific Northwest Clean Water Association in uh, Pacific Northwest, he's really passionate about this idea of the the three-click rule, like he wants to go to any website or have anyone come to his website and click and be able to find something within 
within three clicks. And he's not, obviously he didn't coin that. that that's kind of uh, something that all people who are interested in, in the ease of, of user, of user, user use. I don't think that's the way you say that, but yeah. So, but you can tell that your website was designed from a place of how is this going to be the most useful for the people who are actually going to be using it. So definitely um, reach out to, to Julie if you want more information, um, kind of what she did behind the scenes with the rest of her team to get that going. Cause I like it. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Thanks. Thanks. Huge, huge compliment. Um, really appreciate that. Um, okay. So we're obviously awesome go-getter type of women here. And um, we know there are plenty more like us out there in the water sector. And even though uh, we might be a little biased, um, we believe that the industry will only get better if we can bring more women, more diversity in general. Um, diversity is a core value of WEF. And it's trickled down to the MAs. So how can we build more diversity to the workforce? And how can we as women do a better job of lifting each other up? Oh, man. Um, I love this question. No, it's great. It's awesome. And I guess let me start with it's so exciting that this question is being asked in wider audiences, right? You know, I mean, this is a question that's floating around all audiences, not just select groups. Yeah. Um, so it's really neat um, because it's not, it's a critical question and it's not offensive and it no longer is perceived as an attack on anyone else. It's one that we're actually having. It's a conversation. So um, yes, love the question. Now to answer it, hopefully. <laughs> um, and the clean water sector is, is all about change, innovation and creative ideas and resource recovery, right? So innovation is impossible when you've always had the same people at the table or the same people driving the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, we all benefit from a breadth of perspectives and voices and WEF and we um, embraces this and WEF has made changes to its strategic plan, promoting diversity and inclusiveness. So the one important thing is not only has WEF changed its strategic plan in words, emphasizing diversity and inclusion, but it's also turned these words into action. So, for example, the Inflow program, which stands for Introducing Future Leaders to Opportunities yes. of Work, um, was a super successful program launched in 2018, built around kind of these new objectives in their strategic plan. What it was is a program that built relationships with HBUs and HBCs, so historically black universities and historically black, uni black colleges. Um, and it was meant to introduce underrepresented groups to professional careers in the clean water sector and provide these young people with opportunities for mentorship and a professional pipeline to a clean water profession. So the program's overall objective is to expose underrepresented groups to professional careers in the water industry as part of their workforce development strategy. Shout out to WEFTEC, and actually let me explain to the listeners kind of what it is. It's by far the largest educational technical conference in North America it covers basically all things water. So this is where the program launched. And last year, students at Howard University, Tuskegee University, and I believe University of South Florida, mm -hmm. all HBUs, um, were invited to WEFTEC and to the Inflow panel, and uh, which really introduced them to opportunities in the clean water sector and to provide mentorship. So that is one program that uh, WEF has introduced and one like kind of actionable approach to promoting diversity. Um, and this, like you said, has trickled down to the MAs. Um, WEAT has its own inflow program 
and its own um, uh, diversity and inclusion subcommittee within our workforce development committee. We will have a very similar um, inflow panel and info pro program next year at Texas Water, which, you know, I'm assuming will be awesome because like we do it right in Texas. Um, <laughs> And uh, so that's just kind of one example of many, right, we can point to in how we're promoting diversity and inclusion um, in the sector. But to your question of how we can, as women, build each other up and really promote each other, I think it's also through conversation, connection, and support at events. So, I mean, the reality is, is that we're an, un an underrepresented group in the sector, which means that um, often we're an underrepresented group at sector events. And so I think we need to amplify each other's statements for full effect and make sure when we're in the position to put together a panel or a conference or speakers, we pull from many different voices and continue to acknowledge the reality of the sector we're in, which is that it's full of passionate, innovative, awesome people who are also overwhelmingly white and male. But, you know, how I started this part of the conversation is kind of how I want to finish it. I've noticed that our sector wants to change and it realizes that change and breadth of perspective is how we stay relevant and this means that i've also noticed that man it's really open at the wef level and at the wheat level to these conversations around diversity and inclusiveness um so we should continue to have them yeah yeah one of the things that i have really loved about wef and i'll say that there's a lot of things about this industry that make me proud but when i saw when they launched that inflow program i was incredibly proud of this industry totally. and and seeing the work that they were doing and the more that i've heard about that program the more and more that i'm impressed by it and i really love that you know any you can any organization out there especially one at the size of WEF can put whatever they want in their strategic plan and like who says that that means they're really going to do anything to actually put action behind that meaningful action and i feel mm -hmm. like that that's one area that they've really put their money intention impact whatever you call it uh behind that and have really it's it's not just window dressing it's it's yeah. that they're really getting out and doing and um, if Ateo Venner actually spoke about that at Imagine H2O's recent innovation summit this spring, she talked a lot about inflow and about the WEF strategic, the strategic initiative for diversity and inclusion. And, um, you know, one of those areas, obviously it's diversity means several areas, like all areas, not just race and background and upbringing and all of that, but also, you know, gender falls in there as well. And um, so, one of the one of the things that I wanted to wanted to talk about is that I know that you were just at WEF Max in Nashville recently. Yeah, I know that you saw a buddy of ours, a shared friend that we have, uh, Steve Drangshult, and um, so he did a presentation about uh, PNCWA's Women uh, Women in Water event, and there was a tweet that was made about the irony of a guy presenting on women on a women in water event. And so, and I'm not just saying this because he's a friend, I'm saying this because I think this, that this is important because you made the point is that this industry is heavily male dominated. So in Ifeteo's presentation, she said that something like 85% of our industry is made up of, of males. And so like, I guess my argument is, is that 
we, the women of water, cannot do this on our own and that we have to have our male counterparts raising, flying our banner for us as well if we're really going to make an impact in the way that we want to. Um, And I also heard that idea kind of voiced in, so I listened to this podcast by a gentleman named Lewis Howes who had this woman named Jamila Jamil on it who is an actress, but she is an advocate for... um, she's an advocate against like body shaming and, and self image and things that go along that. But she made this point in her podcast interview that sometimes we as human beings, we, we do, um, we do our culture a disservice by like shaming others for speaking out against things because we say that they're not blank enough. So she was like, so we don't listen to, we don't listen, we don't listen to the woman who's overweight because we're like, well, she did that to herself. But then if a woman who's not overweight speaks out about issues with obesity and body image, they're like, well, how can she speak about obesity and that because she's skinny. And so now we've essentially silenced everyone who is trying to bring these things to light. So that's kind of just what came to my mind when, when I saw that. And I was like, I don't want that comment to be out there floating around in the Twitter sphere and um, discourage any other men out there that are in support of building more diversity, whether it be in race or gender or whatever in the water industry, and then not say something about it because they're a guy, you know? So like, I just want to put that out there that all you guys who want to talk about how great women in water are, please do it all day. day. (laughs) Totally. And it's, I mean, your point is spot on, right? Is that, we need allies. Yes. Like, you know, we can't, we can't do this alone. So we need allies on the inside. We can, but you know. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and the thing, the great thing about Steven and his presentation, actually I'm speaking from, you know, coming off the heels of Buff Max and actually like sitting in a room full of people, like having this really like thoughtful conversation about diversity and inclusion and what those things mean. Um, and that's why I'm so stoked on it right now. But the thing about Steven is that he wasn't telling the story of gender diversity and inclusiveness in his MA um, through the lens of a dude. Like he wasn't telling us, you know, well, I see it like this. He was telling <laughs> He was telling a woman's story, right? Yeah, he was yeah. telling, he was giving a presentation that was developed by a woman for a specific audience. And so, you know, that I think is the definition of an ally, right? Yeah. He was in the position to empathize and to see, to see what it was like to be in an industry that is overwhelmingly male and overwhelmingly white and, um, you know, worked it back from, from, he being one of those people, but, uh, you know, this is the presentation that was done by a woman and it it was, it was powerful. Um, so, and I think it, it really opened up a lot of great conversation. That's why I'm so jazzed. Yeah. Question right now is that it's, and it's also one of the first, one of the first times that that's happened, um, where I've been sitting in a room and have also, not felt like, oh God, I need to be quiet because my ideas are just so beyond the pale of what this room is thinking. Mm-hmm. It was a very inviting atmosphere, which is, which is like the fact that this group entertained all ideas, even if they were different or somehow challenging to their own mm-hmm. is like where we need to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's where we are right now. Like I love not that. Not just in water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a powerful moment. That's I just, awesome. I think diversity and inclusion is just so important. It makes us better. It makes us stronger. It creates more innovation because it creates an opportunity and an atmosphere for more divergent thinking, which leads to more creative mm-hmm. and innovation, innovative ideas. And so like, I just really want to get away from, you know, obviously I do believe that there are some people who grandstand and, and her, who are only like saying something because it in some way does something for them. But I think we need to get away from this idea of shaming other people for advocating for other people. Right. <laughs> and just like realize that we're all on the same team and that it's going to take all of us together, collectively working together, if we really truly want to see diversity and inclusion happen in our industry. And that's why I'm really excited for our chat season three that we had with a woman named Mimi White, um, who's going to be talking about the talent pipeline that they've created. And she's actually in HR. And um, she talked a lot about how she teaches about diversity and inclusion and the way that she approaches it. And it really is from creating an atmosphere where, um, where everybody feels like exactly the feeling that you just expressed. And that's one where you feel that kind of all ideas are accepted and are open to be heard and things of that. So yeah. Be on the lookout for that in season three, folks. Um, Julie, what is your favorite book right now that you can recommend to us? Oof. Um, so my favorite book is usually whatever I'm currently reading. <laughs> and uh, right now it happens to be Sing, Unburied Sing um, by Jasmine Ward. I guess it came out a couple of years ago. Um, randomly picked it up at a local bookstore on vacation a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it's phenomenal. I mean, just um, it it almost like the author's language and the way she writes and kind of, you know, this, this cultural influence, um, almost is, is like Toni Morrison esque, but, um, yeah, but it's, it's more kind of contemporary and current. Um, so anyway, yeah, highly recommend it. Good read. Uh, so you do go on vacation. <laughs> That's what I got from that. <laughs> You do sleep. There is a time where you rest. Yeah. Um, okay. What's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Oh, well, something I try to do every day is um, run or move my body. Um, nice. Like for me, um, there's just such a connection between physical movement and well-being and kind of creative thinking and ideas and uh, running or just moving myself. Like it also allows me to to meet measurable goals, right? Like a mile or 10 minutes or five miles or whatever it is. And so there's like that gratification of like, Hey, I just accomplished this, which means that this like overwhelming thing kind of looming on the horizon, man, I'll just bite it off in chunks, like one mile or two miles or one footfall or the second footfall. And so I I don't know. It's, it's just like my own kind of personal therapy that I've developed across the, you know, perfect. Yeah. Through the years that just allows me to, take overwhelming things in my life and kind of boil them down to discrete steps and accomplish them. I've discovered that my one thing I do every day that drives my productivity is uh, taking a shower. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely grateful for that. We have a small office. (laughs) I realize I'm like, man, I am so much more productive when I just take a shower in the morning. And <laughs> who doesn't know, it's because I have three kids and I get like maybe a one minute shower. So if I can get like a nice 
no kid shower, you know. I did not even know that. Congratulations oh and yeah. amazing. Oh, Whoa. gosh. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast. Girl. Oh, yeah. yeah. Podcast. <laughs> oh, boy. Over some pure uh, water brew. Oh, a lot. A lot of pure water <laughs> brew. Yes, please. Um, okay, so in our line of work, when we were public educators with uh, utilities, you know, we would have people that would come up to us and say, well, that's, you know, that's great everything you told us, but what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. Uh, what I do doesn't make a difference, doesn't make an impact, which obviously we wholeheartedly disagree. We believe that, you know, just one person's change can be contagious and can inspire others to, to make positive change as well. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Um, way to wrap up with an, with a softball, right? Softball. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know if it's a call of action, call to action or if it's just a way to live, but interact with creative and passionate people, um, have new experiences and just constantly become mm. right above all, just constantly become. Oh man. Love it. She just, yeah. When you Google your name from this point on, it's going to be that quote constantly, constantly <laughs> become, I'm going to have a bracelet made with that yes. on it. <laughs> well, Julie, I wanted to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we really appreciate you and all the work that you do for, for clean water in Texas. So thank you. And thank you too so much for what you guys do. Um, it's necessary and phenomenal. Um, but, uh, before we wrap up, I just, want to take this opportunity to acknowledge and honor the 12 lives that were lost um, in Virginia Beach last week. It's been six days now, um, and I'm still struggling with kind of the right words of support. But uh, yeah, WEF um, lost a couple in the in the WEF family, um, and uh, someone that was a coordinator with uh, Ops Challenge, and um, those folks were among those that were or injured. So just wanted to um, take a moment and let everyone know that, that our thoughts are with um, those families and the greater WEF family and the greater Ops Challenge family and um, thinking about uh, their lives and uh, the loss. Well, we definitely appreciate you acknowledging acknowledging that um, at the the NACWA conference this week. Kyle Dreyfus Wells, who is the CEO at Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, she gave the opening marks, opening remarks, and she opened with a moment of silence for what she called the member. We're a family. I mean, yeah. we say that a lot, but. Uh, when I saw that tweet and saw what happened, you know, obviously my heart breaks for any tragedy like that that happens but it just oh it felt like so much more personal and but this industry truly is a family and we truly did lose 12 members of our family and so um it was powerful for her to give that moment of silence and we appreciate you acknowledging them as well so thank you thank you yeah thanks for giving me the opportunity We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. 
We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, Those who tell the stories rule the world.